Before we start the show, here's a brief message from our sponsor, Deputy. In healthcare, there are smart pieces of technology that businesses cannot live without. Deputy has become one of those essential platforms for more than 250,000 workplaces. It's helping medical practices schedule their staff more efficiently to meet peaks in patient demand. And it makes it easy to adjust schedule when the unexpected happens, such as a member of your staff calling out sick. You can use Deputy on any device and on the go. Within minutes of picking it up, you'll see why it has hundreds of glowing reviews from managers and staff alike. To find out more and to try Deputy for free, go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. Uh, welcome to our podcast, The Medical Liability Minute, where we speak for more than a minute. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, and today we're joined by our general counsel, Mike Sakopoulos. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. So we're going to go through, I call these ripped from the headlines. These are news stories that have caught our attention um, about doctors who have been uh, caught in the crosshairs. Some have prevailed, some have not prevailed, but with all of these, there are lessons learned. Um, does that sound like a good segue to, uh, to just dive off the high dive, Mike? I think so. Yes, we um, we certainly want to we, we certainly want to make the most of other people's uh, uh, experience in in troubles here, so we can avoid them ourselves. <laughs> okay. So the first one is delivering news of HIV results. Certainly a uh, challenge, and I'll just go through the story as we saw it in the in the litigation summary. This is a, a lawsuit, but um, let's let's back up. In January of 2017, a husband and wife went to a lab for an HIV blood test. Why? They were being tested for life insurance. And um, the wife was pregnant with the couple's first child. So two days later, they went to a prenatal appointment with the OB-GYN. And the OB-GYN asked the patient if the husband was her best friend and would tell him, would she tell him everything? Certainly, one wonders where that would be leading. Anyway, the wife uh, said, yes, of course, <clears throat> the husband is my best friend, and I would tell him everything. So then the husband came into the room, and the patient was told she was HIV positive in front of her husband. So how did this play out? Well, the patient in the, uh, immediately vomited, felt faint and dizzy. I assume she was not expecting uh, this conversation during the, the um, prenatal visit because Remember, the blood test was done for life insurance. It really had very little to do with the, um, with the prenatal evaluation. Anyway, the patient <clears throat> then said it was impossible for her to be HIV positive. She was then told she was in denial, and the office insinuated the husband had an extramarital affair. By the way, this is a really great way to start a prenatal visit as you're starting the family, correct, Mike? Yeah. Yes. Um, your best friend is um, having an extramarital affair, I think, okay. is kind of how that boils down. Anyway, the OB-GYN um, put on her thinking cap and advised that um, the couple be retested. Blood was drawn the same day. Four days later, the lab reported negative results to the practice. Great news. So, And subsequent testing showed the wife was not HIV positive. But in that narrow window of time, the patient contemplated having an abortion, thought about suicide, began mental health treatment, lost appetite and weight, and experienced marital uh, difficulties. The lab employee suggested the plaintiff's blood sample because, as as you know, a lawsuit was filed. 
had been switched with that of another. So there are actually two individuals or, or two people who are involved. There's someone out there who had a negative test was told that was positive and vice versa. Positive test told uh, was negative. So two for the price of one. Anyway, the lawsuit that was filed was for negligent infliction of emotional distress. The argument being the lab was negligent um, because it sent inaccurate results to the practice, and the practice was negligent in disclosing the patient's HIV uh, status in the presence of her husband. So this actually went to court, and um, I guess to me, a little bit surprisingly, the um, the verdict was in favor of the defense, meaning that the the lab and the and the practice prevailed. Um, I mean, this definitely was a mistake. I think we can agree with that. The lab was the one that initiated the mistake by sending uh, wrong results to the practice. And you certainly, I mean, the practice is supposed to deliver results. Now, in this case, I'm not sure why they were delivering the results for a life insurance exam when the OBGYN was focused on the um you know, the prenatal visit. There may be more facts to this behind the scenes, but by and large, when lab results come to a practice, the practice is um, supposed to deliver the news. And if it looks like it's questionable, most practices will do the simple, uh, the simple act of saying, let's do it again. Let's see if we can get a, uh, let's make sure this is correct. Sometimes there are false positives. And certainly with HIV, um, the first test is often a screening exam, and there may very well be false false positives, and then it's followed up. At least that's the way it used to be done. I think modernly um, uh, that is not the case, but historically it used to be a, a screening exam and then followed up with a more definitive type of exam, and it may still be done that way today. Certainly our pathologists can weigh in on that. Mike, any initial thoughts? Because we're going to move yeah. on to the second case related to failure to deliver news of lab results, and then we'll we'll mix and match um, the delivery and non-delivery of uh, information. I think it might be productive to discuss a little bit um, the way in which this, uh, uh, this woman was asked if her husband could come into the room or if she would like him to be uh, present. It strikes me as being somewhat coy. I mean, Clearly, the, the physician knew what was going to be told, right? And it seems like an odd way of going about asking uh, permission or dealing with patient privacy issues to say uh, in this fashion. <clears throat> so the fact that the husband or significant other was not in the room at the time certainly leads to the uh, necessity to have some kind of a conversation. I'm not sure that it was particularly handled well. I mean, it seems to me that you want to give a little bit of a heads up, like there may be some news here that um, is is confidential and you may or may not want your spouse present. Something along those lines, I think, would have been better uh, because I, I get the sense that this patient had absolutely no idea what was coming and was completely um, uh, blindsided. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I don't know that the patient even knew bad news was coming. I, I, I'm not sure she knew any news was coming. It sounded exactly. like... Hey, look, um, do you share information with your husband? This is a prenatal visit. We're probably going to be chatting about something. And it could very well have been something related to the child, uh, in which case the, you know, mom was thinking, hey, um, you know, 
this is our child. We're in this sure. together. If there's some bad news, maybe it does make sense to have him in uh, in the room to um, to comfort, you know, to comfort me. Um, but that's not how it was presented. It was presented very broadly. Hey, are you are each other's best friend? And do you share everything um, without the heads up? This is negative and it has nothing to do directly with your child. It may impact your pregnancy, but it has nothing to do with your child. And in fact, the implication would be your husband, you know, if, if you um, have no idea how you contacted HIV, um, perhaps through um, a, a transfusion, a needle stick, or um, your own sexual activity, then the natural conclusion would be, well, your husband gave it to you. And if you're probably not aware of that, then so we're going to have, he will have some uh, explaining to do. And that was going to be the threesome conversation as the woman was expecting to get information about this prenatal visit. Exactly. And it, it strikes me as that it's somewhat odd that he wasn't included in the room to begin with. Um, and maybe that was, uh, something that should have been taken into to consideration perhaps not it, it could be because he was um external he was outside the room having an affair no, i'm kidding <laughs> that, that, that's right or, or or tardy to the appointment um you know racking up more more bad points and the jury it. will disregard that statement we have no idea what happened but the, but it we do know that ultimately the the subsequent test was negative. I think the practice did the right thing in terms of ordering a second test. And frequently, if if there's a surprise, um, and, and labs are not known to be 100% accurate, there's always a false positive and false negative rate, and you have to give it context. Um, without getting into the dirty details of Bayes' theorem of how to detect, you know, how uh, false positives and false negatives um, weigh in based on the prevalence in the population. Suffice it to say, being able to interpret a lab is uh, is important. And I think the practice did the right thing. I, I think I probably would have couched it differently. Look, um, here's what the result shows. We have no idea what this means at this point. It sounds, if you have don't have any obvious risk factors, then the first step would naturally be to repeat the lab test to see whether it is a false positive. That does happen. It doesn't happen frequently, but it does happen, and we want to make sure. So before we go on a, uh, on a wild chase trying to identify the source of the problem, let's make sure we're dealing with the proper lab result. Uh, a good diagnosis means that you have good information, and repeating the test makes sense. And uh, I think what we haven't talked about also is that there's an individual uh, who who was out there who had a who probably had a positive test and was given um, information that their test was negative. I mean, the I would argue that's almost more dangerous, um, meaning that this person was told that the coast is clear, no need to worry, and they. I mean, although the window of time that this was an unknown was quite slim. Um, the longer something goes without the person being aware of the problem, the greater the potential for for spreading a communicable disease. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that a jury verdict might have come out quite differently if the plaintiff was the person that uh, was told that 
all's good. No worries. Uh, you're, you, you had a, a negative result. Um, so you're absolutely right. This is a, a bigger, uh, health wise, a bigger problem, uh, potentially for the, the person who got a, a false negative. I mean, you had two parties here, you, um, two defendants, you had the lab that likely got the test wrong. Then you had the physician's office that delivered the wrong information and they, I'm not sure they were sued exactly for the same thing, but they were both parties. And the thing that's interesting is that the whole thing appeared to be resolved in uh, within four days. And I think within a matter of minutes, the, the plan was to obtain additional testing. Um, and I'm, I'm just reading the summary. It says, in this four-day window between getting the information and being given the all-clear sign, patient contemplated having an abortion, thought about suicide, began mental health treatment, lost appetite and weight, and experienced marital difficulties. I'm just curious if that was, if the jury perceived that that was not a particularly accurate representation of a four-day saga, particularly when they were told, hey, look, we're going to repeat the test. And they knew individually, at least the husband um, was saying, no affair. The wife, I guess, was being led to believe perhaps she couldn't trust him. But um, I think the practice, once the information came out, the practice did everything it could to make it right. Maybe that weighed in on the defense verdict. I think, I think so. Look, it may not have been handled uh, perfectly to to begin with in, in delivering the, the news, but uh, the results came from uh, the lab and they were timely delivered as accurately as they could be at, at that that moment. And then it seemed like things were, were handled appropriately, um, you know, from from there forward. So to that extent, I don't I think that the the defense verdict was appropriate for the the physician. Um, as to the lab switching around samples, that to me does seem like, uh, unfortunately, something that uh, negligence and if, while it happens, uh, there should be uh, some some compensation potentially for that. Yeah, that was surprising that they ended up <clears throat> with goose eggs, nothing from the lab itself. So I think the take-home message as it relates to a practice is that if there's sensitive information to give and you believe that it needs to be given to more than one person, how you deliver the information is important, um, particularly if it's bad information. And the first step is first circle back and see and confirm that you believe the information is accurate. And if you believe that there's a chance that the information is not accurate and that you know it makes sense to repeat the test, tell the patient that. Tell the patient, their family, that from the very beginning that there's a there's a possibility that this may very well be a lab error. I don't know that you would say that the lab switches sample, but you can certainly say that sometimes there were false positives. And um, let's let's go down that road before we come up with any um, clinical conclusions as to what the next step uh, would be, which you're definitely in a holding pattern. And in a sense, <clears throat> this is not dissimilar to people that end up getting um, information on a Friday afternoon and I don't know why they do these tests on a Friday afternoon, that something suspicious was found on a mammogram. And, um, you know, the recommendation may very well be a repeat study or a needle biopsy, et cetera. But there's always going to be a window between Friday and Monday where somebody is left to contemplate 
the worst case scenario, you know, thinking of impending doom and death. Um, and I think if you're going to do these types of tests on a Friday, um, the patient should be counseled up front that the vast majority of these spots that are found on mammogram turn out to be false positives. And at least by doing that, you would you would justify the wait. Um, I mean, we live in a. I mean, in other countries, people probably have to wait uh, days to weeks to uh, to get follow up studies. But here in America, it, it is assumed that if bad news is being delivered, that you'll be able to um, address it or mitigate it within a matter of minutes, if not hours. Um, yeah, that, that's right. People um, want to know immediately and then expect immediate action upon the results. Yeah, welcome to America. Before we end, a brief message from our sponsor, Deputy. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy app. You can try this smart technology for free by going to doctorpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's doctorpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups, and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.